I'm going to uh, start reading in John chapter 2. I trust the Holy Spirit is going to be ministering to our hearts today. How many of you desire a closer walk with the Lord? You know, the Holy Spirit is the administrator of all the earthly resources of the kingdom. I honor him. I trust him. I, tr I endeavor to live my life in his presence. He's a faithful friend. He's always with me. You know, and Isaiah said that one of the names of Jesus would be Emmanuel. That's God with us. That's Holy Spirit. He's the one who's always with us, never leaves us alone. And so today, I'd like all of us to have a deeper encounter with him and a more powerful, impactful experience of Holy Spirit's presence in our life on a day-to-day -day basis. Because he's, he's the one that is able to release you into your destiny and into your purpose, his Holy Spirit. If you don't learn to partner with him, I, I hear some people make remarks about spirit-filled people that scares me. You know, you know if, I, if I took half a dozen people and they all uh, grabbed a hold of a couple of wires in the electrical socket, all of them would act, react differently, right? But you could ask me, well, is that electricity? Well, sure it is. It's electricity, but everyone is going to react differently. Some, somebody might fall down. Somebody else might jump up and down and shout. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Everyone would respond differently. Is that Holy Spirit? Well, yeah, but actually it's the way that person responds to the Holy Spirit more than it is. Are you hearing? So the Holy Spirit's not responsible for every way that everyone reacts to his presence. Okay? But to make fun of somebody responding to Holy Spirit is a dangerous thing. There was a king's daughter who did that, and God struck her with barrenness as a result. And sometimes when I see people, because David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and somebody made fun of him, and the Lord said, that's not good. You're not going to have any more kids. Uh, some of the remarks that I hear people say sometimes about the Holy Spirit frightens me, honestly, for them. Uh, I was raised by, uh, my dad was an Amish preacher, old order Amish preacher, but he was born again. And he had a, a fear of God and a respect for the Holy Spirit, unlike probably any Amish preacher that I was aware of, or Amish man. He had such a, an honor and a respect for the presence of God. And he would not come against somebody if he thought they had a relationship with God. Even if, the, even if he disagreed with the way they were living their life, he wouldn't come against somebody because he has that much reverence for the presence of God in somebody's life. If we don't have his presence, all we have is a religion. Amen. John 2.13, now the 
Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found that in, in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. You are the father's house. You are the temple of the living God. You might say, well, why was it money changers? Why wasn't it other issues that Jesus declared war on? Well, remember what he said? The love of money is the root of all evil. If we allow him to root the love of money out of our hearts, money represents everything else that we're connected to. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I mean, I could go on and on and on about that, but... If God has your money, he has your heart. The money changers is what he had to overturn to cleanse the Father's house. It's, it's pretty profound. I want you to just think about that, pray about that. If God has your money, he has all of you. I'm just telling you that. And th I'm not going to take up an offering. That's not what this is about. I don't do that. I don't, I don't ever want to manipulate anybody. For, this is not that. I'm telling you that freedom revolves around you surrendering the deepest places of your life to the Lord. And money is at the root of the priorities of your heart. Or the love of it. Jesus is passionate about cleansing and fully occupying the Father's house. He's really passionate about it. Zeal for his house has eaten him up. Zeal for you, for you, the temple of the Holy Spirit that you're called to be, is eating Jesus up. He's really passionate about cleansing his temple so that he can fill his temple with the presence of God's glory. You were created to be occupied. You know, when... when uh, when they, when they invented computers, when they developed computers, they developed them according to the way that our mind works. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a, a ROM memory, a read-only memory that's hardwired into the thing. You can't change it. You can't write over it. It's the identity of that. It tells the computer when it boots up who, what it is, what its identity is. And then there's a random access memory. They call it RAM memory. And, and that's the information that you can, can download, that you can, uh, that you can develop, that you can put into it. And it's, there's so much of that information that you can work with at a time. That's like your short-term memory. And then there is a hard disk memory that where you can store files and things long-term. And that's like the, your uh, long-term memory that, that you can, but, but the more I think about it, and I, and I knew that a long time ago because I, did, I did, uh, took some computer classes many years ago. 
when I figured out that my kids were going to bypass me if I didn't, I said, okay, I've got to stay ahead of them. And, uh, and so I took some computer classes back in the 90s. And, uh, and I learned how computers operate. But the more th- that I journey with the Lord, the more I'm convinced that none of us were created like a personal computer. All of us are more like a, a, a workstation connected to a supercomputer somewhere. A mainframe. And that's the mind of Christ. None of us function at our best on our own. It's only when we're connected to the mind of Christ. It's only when we're connected. It's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. We're not created to be on our own. We're not created to to be able to fulfill our purpose and our destiny unless we're in a constant relationship with him where things are being uploaded and downloaded all the time. Does that make sense? You were created to be occupied. It was the breath of God that brought life to Adam in the beginning. Causing him to become a living soul. When God breathed into him the breath of life, he became a living soul. And it's the breath of God that restores life back to us. John chapter 20 verse 19 says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, this is after the resurrection, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst. Now the doors are shut, everything's locked up, all of a sudden here's Jesus. Jesus doesn't need a door because he is the door. And he said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace to you. And as the Father has sent me, I also am sending you. The same way the Father sent Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, filled with the Holy Spirit and power, anointed to do good works, anointed to do the work. The same way the Father sent Jesus, he's now, Jesus is now sending us to finish what he came to start. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. This is after the resurrection, so the work of the cross was finished. He breathed on them like God breathed into Adam in the beginning. And he gave new life to them. I believe at that moment they were born again. And said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they're retained. In other words, you're now a powerful person again. You don't have a hard heart that cannot forgive anymore. Remember Jesus talked about Moses because of the hardness of your hearts. That's because under the old covenant law, everyone had hard hearts. They were not born again hearts. They were corrupted hearts. But now that you've received a new heart, you have the power to forgive. It's still your choice. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. They're remitted. If you retain the sins of any, if you, someone sins against you, you can hang on to it. You can not forgive. And then that same sin is going to continue to take root in you that was committed against you. The spirit of man, which had entered into death when Adam fell, was reborn, 
born from above. It now became a temple ready to be occupied by the Holy Spirit. When you become his vessel, when he becomes Lord of your temple, all your limitations are removed. God can take a little shepherd boy and turn him into a giant killer. All your limitations are gone. It's it's very likely, if you read Scripture in his context, that David was the illegitimate child of Jesse and a servant lady because he wasn't even counted with the other sons when, when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel. And finally, Samuel said, don't you have any more boys anywhere? He said, well, there's, there's David. David talked about he was conceived in sin in the Psalms. He said, when your mother and father forsake you, the Lord will take you. Those weren't just inspired utterances. They were David speaking out of his own life experience. And God loves to take rejected people that feel like there probably is not a big purpose for my life because of this, that, and the other. He loves to take people just like you and raise you up to do significant things. Amen? Luke 24, 44 says this. Then he said to them, Jesus is talking to his disciples, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. There's an unprecedented attack today on the value and reliability of the word of God. These are not new attacks. They've been being levied against the word of God from from long ago. When people have not had their understanding open to comprehend the scriptures... It's just a book with a lot of information, a lot of religious history, interesting stories, and boring statistics. It's like reading an encyclopedia. I know. I first 26 years of my life, that's what the Bible was to me. It was a boring book that you were supposed to read sometimes. But on January 26, 1986, that changed. And the word of God leaped off the pages and began to minister to my heart. And it began to renew my mind. And it began to reconfigure the way that I think, the way that I live my life. And began to release all kinds of incredible works of grace in my life on an ongoing basis. When the Lord opens your understanding, it becomes the greatest treasure trove of all, the Word of God does. Milk for the newborn, bread for the hungry, meat for the strong, answers for your questions, 
guidance on your journey. Don't ever start blindly following someone who claims to have special insight into the Word of God that other normal people cannot have. That's Gnosticism. It's an old, old heresy. Every one of you have the opportunity to, uh, to be a priest of the living God, which means you don't need a mediator besides Jesus between you and God. God wants to open up his word and minister to you. He wants to bring life to you. He wants to feed you. He wants the word of God to dwell richly in your heart and in your mind. He wants the word of God to flow through you to feed the hungry that come to you. The Lord wants to speak to you personally and give you the answers that you need. The Bible is the only book that as you begin to read, the author whispers in your ear. But we need our understanding to be opened up so that we can receive. It was a work of grace. If you look at that scripture in Luke, it was a, it was a work of grace that Jesus did in their life. Opened the scriptures so that he could understand. No other composition ever written can measure up to its inspiration, its reliability, or its depth of wisdom and knowledge. Many have tried and still do. Here's a, here's a little poem written by a man named John Clifford called The Anvil. Last eve I passed beside a blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring the vesper chime. And when looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter these hammers so? Just one, said he. Then with a twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought the anvil of God's word. For ages, skeptic blows have beaten upon. Yet, though the noise of falling blows has heard, the anvil is unharmed, the hammers are gone. All the hammers of doubt, unbelief, human reasoning, and academia have failed to dismiss or even diminish the value and the reliability of the word of God. When Jesus was tempted by Satan himself, his response was, it is written. Now you would think, you'd think the Son of God himself, filled and anointed by the Holy Spirit, could have come up with a divine utterance in the moment, a prophetic word against the devil. But instead he said, it is written. Why? Why did he say it's written? Because the written word of God carries an authority that is final and cannot be disputed. It's like a law book in the courtroom. You're, you're a weak and ineffective lawyer if you don't know what is written. But when they can reference what is written, there's an authority that settles. You, you can't dispute what is written. And that's the way it is with the word of God. That which is written cannot be disputed. It stands and will stand forever. Forever, O oh God, your word is established in heaven. Psalm 138, 2, the last part of the verse says, 
you have magnified your word above all your name. As great as the name of God is, as great as the name of Jesus is, as great as all the different manifestations of the names of God are, he's magnified his word even above his name. You can't build a powerful relationship with the Lord and learn to trust him and operate in great faith unless you have a relationship with the word of God. Because it's the word of God that everything else rests on. I say, what's this got to do with Pentecost Sunday? Well, you'll see. It has everything to do with it. Isaiah 66, 1 says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? Going back to the house, the Father's house, right? Where's the house that's being built for the Father to occupy? And where's the place of my rest? There's a place where the Father wants to rest. Remember when Jesus was baptized? The Holy Spirit came like a dove and rested on him. It abode on him. The first time since those doves were released by Noah, the one that never came back showed up and found a resting place. He found a son that he can rest on. For the first time, the Holy Spirit came and remained in someone's life because he found the temple that he could occupy. He found a place of rest. Where's the house? Where's the place of my rest? For all these things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord, but on this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you literally tremble at the word of God, but I have. And I tell you, all of us need to encounter the magnificence and the magnitude of God's word. And submit our life to the authority of that word. And when you surrender your life to the authority of the word of God, you know, it breaks the bands of control off of you. It brings you into a place of rest. That's what he's talking about. Where, where the presence of God can rest in your life. Jesus opened their understanding to understand Scripture, and then he gave them the promise of the Holy Spirit. Back to Luke 24. Right after that, he, he said he opened their understanding. Verse 46 said, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I sent... Can you bring me some of my props? Uh, honey, that's, that would be amazing. Oh, you're fine. I know. You're busy. Behold, I send the promise of my, God, my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. If you're here today and you would like to have your understanding opened, 
so that the word of God comes alive to you. I'd like you to stand and I want to lead us in a prayer. Don't do this just because other people are doing it. Do this if you really want that. If you can't stand, that's fine. Stand up on the inside. God knows if your spirit is standing up. Father God, we are your sons and your daughters. We are the place of your rest. We are the temple of the living God. And we're hungry. And we want to experience you and we want to encounter you. And we're asking today that you would open our understanding so that the word of God becomes alive and powerful to us and speaks to us and ministers to us. Would you open our understanding now in Jesus' name? Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. And give us hearts that are able to comprehend. And let your word become a source of so much life, so much revelation, so much understanding to us that it becomes a treasure that we go to to find answers. That's where we go when we're hungry. It's where we go. Would you just give us an insatiable appetite for the word of God? Would you open the word of God to us and renew our minds with it? In any places where we've not be in, been in alignment with, you, with the mind of Christ yet, we ask you to come and let your word wash over us, cleanse us, purify us. Reveal Jesus to us, the living word of God. Thank you, Father, for the amazing word of God. Let it explode in the hearts of hungry sons and daughters so we'll never be the same. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. John Baptist said in Luke 3, beginning in verse 16, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Why do you use the word baptize? In Luke, the end of uh, Luke 24, he said, uh, you will be endued with power. That word endued means clothed with. You're not limited to your own abilities anymore. You're not limited to your own strength. And then he says baptized. Why did he use the word baptized? 
See, I could take this decanter here and I could pour. This is what it would mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's good. It's good to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's more. You can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which means immersed. For those of you who are sprinkled, that's not what baptized means. Baptized means to be immersed into. This is what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, completely immersed by. That's what Holy Spirit came to do. You know what you have to do to, to, to get there? You have to give up control. We're coming full circle. You have to allow someone else to take charge of your life. And for most of us, that's the, that's the biggest battle of all is giving up control. And I want you to know, you can trust the Holy Spirit. He will never violate you. He will never take advantage of you. He will empower you. He'll help you find your true identity. He'll help you find everything that God created you for. The Holy Spirit is here to baptize you, to immerse you in his glorious presence so that nothing in your life will ever be the same again. You'll never need to walk in fear again. You'll never need to walk in, 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 in this place of rejection and abandonment. And I, He's with you all the time. If, if I didn't have the Holy Spirit in my life, I'll tell you what, I'd, I'd be a mess. I was born again. That was wonderful. God opened his word to me. That was wonderful. But when the Holy Spirit came into my life, he turned a shack into a temple. And I never got over it. It rocked my world when it happened, and I still haven't got over it 37 years later. And he'll do the same thing for every one of us. He is here to turn what was a shack occupied by the enemy into a temple of the living God. He wants to, he wants to bring you into so much awareness of his presence that you get to carry that presence with you everywhere you go. You get to change the atmosphere of a room. You get to... Uh, we, we, I remember years ago, we had an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our, uh, this was like 30 years ago. It wasn't in a big setting. It was in our home in our small group. Uh, God poured his, this was like three years before Toronto Revival broke out. God was pouring his spirit out in a house in Holmesville. People would come into our home oppressed, depressed, discouraged, and they would leave transformed because of the presence that was there. They encounter peace where they were tormented. God wants every one of our lives to be that way. To carry the glory of his presence to our atmosphere shift and people can be set free. People can be healed and they can become just as infected as you are. Listen, COVID did a lot of, messed with a lot of people. I praise God, as far as I know, we're one of the few churches that didn't lose anyone to COVID. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Holy Spirit wants to be more infectious than COVID. More contagious than COVID. 
And he will be in your life if you'll let him be, if you're willing to give up control. I would like for everyone who just is hungry to be baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, come up to this altar before we do communion. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and rock your world.